I, I asked Lois about the, the hymn we just sung. Um, it's a beautiful hymn, and the words are, are wonderful, but it's called Resignation. I, I just thought, what, are you trying to say something about my sermon before I even give it? I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on, but, uh, but I was told it's an old Southern song. I don't know if you Southerners are kind of, you know, depressed about your music or something, but I, from the 1830s. So anyway, you learn something every day. I'm a little groggy today. I've been taking care of my grandson this weekend. My, my kids, uh, Brian and Amy, celebrating their fourth anniversary. So for the first time, they left Andrew for an overnight with, with uh, grandparents. So it was, a, it was a night of light sleep, shall we say. Uh, I, I was reminded of the uh, incredible, uh, what can I say, hard work of parenting, especially motherhood, um, just from this 24-hour experience. By the way, I got a text from Steve Goyer late last night while I was laying in bed not sleeping, and um, from Haiti, and it starts out with, it's way worse than I ever thought. (laughs) I just started laughing, because I think that's everyone's first impression, but then he went on to, to say what a good time he was having, although he said, I've never prayed so hard as the driver takes us through these mountain roads and passing dump trucks and motorcycles on curves. And So anyway, I'm sure he'll have a lot of stories and exaggerations to tell when he gets back. <laughs> Today is Good Shepherd Sunday. You may be able to tell that from some of the music um, in in many of the churches that use the lectionary, uh, we use scriptures from Old and New Testament that have to do with the image of God as like a shepherd. Uh, And the two foremost among these would be, the Lord is my shepherd, and I am the good shepherd, or the model shepherd. Now, you might need a shepherd in New York City these days because, you know, there's an opera going on that uses a hundred sheep. Have you heard about it? It's called Demetrie. It's at the Park Avenue Armory. And I don't know why they needed a hundred sheep to put this on, but they had to find sheep out at a farm in Pennsylvania. Then they had to figure out where to keep them between performances. So they, they, went, they are renting the Bronx Equestrian Center to keep these sheep. And then every night for a performance, they load them on trailers. After the opera's already started, they bring them down into Manhattan, and uh, they unload them uh, halfway through the the opera, and they feed them a little snack. And then just at the right cue, they go up on stage and and bleat for a little while, and then then leave. I don't know. I don't really get it. uh, But you'd have to be a good shepherd to pull that off. Back in Jesus' time, shepherds were common. They were just an important part of the uh, economic system. But to think shepherd, we might think of idyllic pasture scenes. In the Bible, however, shepherd is almost always a political title. It means king or lord, sovereign, the authority, the one who directs the one to whom I am accountable, the one whom I trust and serve. So in this opening line, the psalm is clear about life's goal and focus, the center and purpose 
of human being. It is Yahweh and no other. No rival loyalty, no competing claim, no economic or racial or social or family uh, opportunity or value that could compete. It is a mark of discernment and maturity to strip life down to what is one compelling loyalty. The most important thing, the thing that gives you purpose and identity. To be freed from all other things that turn out to be false promises, what the Bible would call idolatry. And then the next line in that poem, the 23rd Psalm, is, I shall not want. I shall lack nothing. I shall not have any other yearnings or desires that fall outside the gifts of God. What God gives will be enough for me. This is a statement of enormous confidence in the faithfulness and generosity of God, the one who knows best what we need and gives well beyond whatever we could ask or think. But it is also a decision I shall not want. It is a choice made against the greed and lust and aggressive ambition of a consumer society. A consumer society that is driven by the notion that we must always want more, want one more thing, that we are entitled to it, and that we will have it no matter what. In John chapter 10, Jesus calls himself the model shepherd because he does what the Father wants him to do. He's the model or good shepherd because he is obedient to the will of his Father, even to the point of laying down his life to protect the flock. This is the claim that gets Jesus into trouble because people were divided about this claim that he is the shepherd, the the ruler, the authority. Some people said, well, he's crazy. He's lost his mind. Other people said, well, how could a crazy person open blind eyes? You see, just before our text today, John narrates the story of how a person who was born blind is healed by Jesus. Along the way, he progressively gains more and more comprehension about who Jesus is. He starts out calling him a man, and then later he called him a prophet. Later on in the conversation, he called him a man of God, and then he called him son of God, and finally he called him Lord. This is the progression of seeing in the Gospel of John. Meanwhile, the Pharisees who interrogated this man and his parents, they were the beneficiaries of centuries of Torah tradition. They had received the finest education. They were the most learned people. They knew the truth. They could control conversations and debates. And they rejected what this man said. And in that sense, John says, they were blind. 
And then there were the man's parents, the man who was healed, his, his parents who were also interrogated, and in private they would confess, yes, this Jesus, he is of God, he, he is the Christ, he has healed my son. But in public, when it looked like their social status or their economic well-being might be threatened or risked, they hedged their bets, they sat on the fence, they wouldn't make any commitments. And so John's community, a few decades later, were struggling with these options, confessing Jesus as Lord, rejecting him, or playing it safe in the middle. They'd been kicked out of the synagogue, those who had confessed Jesus as Lord, And so now we come to this story in the 10th chapter of John. Let us listen for God's word. At the time of the festival of the dedication, which took place in Jerusalem, it was winter and Jesus was walking in the temple, in the portico or or porch of Solomon. So the Jews gathered around him And said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? Literally, how long will you make us hold our breath? Or or, how long will you annoy us? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I have told you. And you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name tell you who I am. But you don't believe. You are not, you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them. They follow me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who is greater than all has given them to me. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. My Father and I are one. So, so the scene is uh, the Feast of Dedication in Jerusalem. Imagine, imagine being at the 9-11 Memorial in New York City on the 4th of July. Can you imagine a more patriotic time and place a, a, a setting that would evoke our nationalistic pride and hope more strongly. That's what this scene is about. The Feast of Dedication was the celebration of the Jewish victory over Syria a, a couple of decades earlier. The Syrians had profaned the temple, had put an image of Zeus in the Holy of Holies, and, and the Maccabean revolt came along and cleared them out and they restored the temple. And the Feast of Dedication was their celebration. And so Jesus is walking on Solomon's porch. Solomon built that. The height of Israel's power and wealth and influence, standing erect still, and Jesus standing right there in it. And in the midst of this patriotic fervor, He's asked, he's encircled, and, he, and they say, don't keep us in suspense. 
Tell us plainly, are you the Messiah, i.e. the political deliverer that will lead us to freedom over Rome? Of course Jesus wouldn't take that bait. But he's asked that question repeatedly, not just by people who are his opponents. One of his disciples said in a couple chapters later, Philip said, Jesus, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And and Jesus said to him, Philip, have you been with me all this time and you still don't understand that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. If you can't believe this or understand this, look at my deeds. Look at what my works are and believe because of what I've done. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, sent people to question Jesus. Are you the Messiah, the one who is to come, or should we look for someone else after you? Jesus said, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, lepers are washed clean, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Look at what I'm doing, he says. Our text today ends with this claim, the Father and I are one. Not one person. You see, the word one is is neuter. It's not masculine. It's not talking about the Father and I are one person. That was a philosophical and religious argument for the fourth century church. Here Jesus is saying, we are unified in our action and in our deeds and our purpose. We are one in what we are doing The result of this uh, statement by Jesus leads his opponents to want to stone him. And he says, later in John 10, he says, for which of these deeds are you going to kill me? Now, I know you don't believe what I'm saying, but take a look at what I'm doing and tell me which of these deeds that I'm doing that are of God deserve my, my execution. Jesus will not be drawn into theological arguments with the people of his own faith or people of other faiths. The woman at the well engaged him and said, you know, our people, we worship in this way at this place, and you, you people think differently. You have this other theology. And, and Jesus said, you know, What matters is who is standing right in front of you. What matters is that I can give you a fountain of life flowing up within you. The theological debate really is not that important. It reminds me of, uh, I was reading uh, a portion of the book of Confessions about something else that I was going to teach, and I came across this passage that I think is very pertinent for today. It's from the Confession of 1967 in our Presbyterian Book of Confessions. Listen to this. It says, The church in its mission encounters the religions of humanity, and in that encounter becomes conscious of its own human character as a religion. 
Christianity is a human religion like others. God's revelation to Israel, expressed within Semitic culture, gave rise to the religion of the Hebrew people. God's revelation in Jesus Christ called forth the response of both Jews and non-Jews and came to expression within Judaism and Hellenism as the Christian religion. The Christian religion as distinct from God's revelation of God's self has been shaped through its history by the cultural forms of its environment. So this confession is making a distinction between God's self-revelation and our human apprehension of it. One more thing it adds, the reconciling word of the gospel is God's judgment upon all forms of religion, including the Christian. But the gift of God in Christ is for all people. So Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, the model leader, ruler. In a traditional way of understanding this, I might see Jesus holding that crook and maybe a lamb on his lap, uh, just a gentle, mild Jesus who is there when I need him, sort of a deistic image of God who is distant but could be called upon in an emergency. A God who is tender and caring and really there to help me feel good and comfortable, to affirm my lifestyle and my views. The Good Shepherd. That's kind of the way I've thought about that image sometimes. And Jesus says, look at my deeds. If you want to understand shepherding in the way that God means it, look at what I have done. I have healed the sick, opened the eyes of the blind, preached good news to the poor, raised the dead. So he gives new and eternal life to his sheep, not through superiority of status or the promise of comfort or mighty arms or economic superiority. He gives through giving up everything. He is the good shepherd because he's obedient through the will of God in the way that he loves the sheep. I mean, look at what is happening around us, Jesus would say. Look at the work of God in our midst. This good shepherd might be the kind of person who would have gone to that Nehemiah assembly this past week. Might be the kind of person who would volunteer at legal aid or would help in feeding folk that need a meal like Meals on Wheels might be someone who served as a lunch buddy or cared enough to send a card to someone who was under the weather. That's the kind of action that Jesus did and that those who follow him do. 
The Pharisees thought they knew everything, thought they could control everything. They thought that in their control, in their arrogance, in their anxiety, they could define the terms of shepherding. But but in John, they're blind. In this season of resurrection, we are invited to see a good or model shepherd. We are invited to see differently, to see past our own anxiety, to see past our own need for control or fear, to see ourselves as sheep of this good shepherd, as travelers in God's good and luscious valley, as citizens at home in God's good home, then we may grow to be free and generous and unencumbered and grateful and ready to share in doing the work of the Good Shepherd, always within earshot of this one who holds us securely in his love. Now let us affirm our faith using words from another portion of our book of confession. They're printed in our worship bulletin. They're from a confession written in the early 1980s called A Brief Statement of Faith. Let's read together. We trust in Jesus Christ, fully human, fully God. Jesus proclaimed the reign of God, preached good news to the poor, and released to the captives, teaching by word and deed, and blessing the children, healing the sick, binding up the brokenhearted, eating with outcasts, forgiving sinners, calling all to repent and believe the gospel, unjustly condemned for blasphemy and sedition, Jesus was crucified, suffering the depths of human pain and giving his life for the sins of the world. God raised this Jesus from the dead, vindicating his sinless life, breaking the power of sin and evil, delivering us from death to eternal life. In life and in death, we belong to God.